Amen. So I walked in and Gabe wondered if it was casual today, day at the harbor. And I'm thinking, well, every day is casual day at the harbor. But <laughs> his point was the jersey. I'm wearing this jersey in solidarity with a young woman that I know who is a, a good friend of mine. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about her soccer story. And it goes like this. When she was a junior in high school, she played. She did get invited into the varsity squad, but she didn't play a whole lot as a junior on the varsity squad. So when it came to summer after junior year, she was, she was discouraged and feeling ambivalent about whether or not she should go out for the team again as a senior. But even in that ambivalence, she decided to train really hard. So all during her summer, between junior and senior year of high school, she started to run I mean, man, she would run like 35, 40, 50 miles a week, you know, putting eight miles a day, and she just got after the running. She worked on her ball skills, and she just really refined herself as a soccer player. Well, the morning that double session started, you know, in August, when um, the varsity squad started to get started again for the year, she still wasn't really sure what she was going to do, but at the last minute, she decided, even unbeknownst to her mother, that she was going to go and just go for it. So she goes through double sessions, the two a day, she's there on the varsity squad. And wouldn't you know it, but the second game of the season, the captain, who had been chosen, as she says it, just as a popularity contest, the captain who really didn't have the best skills and really wasn't the best leader of the esprit de corps, of like kind of the team dynamics, she tore her ACL. And she uh, was out that game. And that's the point when coach looked around, called this girl by name and said, you are in. And she went into, arguably, the position that needed the most athleticism, kind of the, the, midi, um, the center midi, the center halfback. So she was running up and back on the field. And man, that was a moment where she just said, thank God that I was ready. Thank God that I had prepared all summer by being athletically ready with the ball skills. Because after that time, she never missed a game. She wouldn't get herself out. When there are opportunities for her to get out, she wouldn't get out because she enjoyed every minute that she played. Now, this young woman's name at the time was Kelsey Bowen. Now it's Kelsey Hubacher. And there it is. She is a soccer star. Now, the thing is, God wants to do the same thing with you and me, doesn't he? When God's ready to do something, when he wants to dispatch you on a special mission, don't you want to be able to say, yes, I'm ready? I think you do. Well, let's look at this dynamic a little bit more in 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, we'll start at verse 20 and 21. And we're looking at how God wants to use you when he wants to send you in. And when it's time and how we want to be ready and not have regret. Amen. Okay, 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. In a large house, this is Paul writing to his friend in ministry, his mentor, or his mentee, excuse me. This is an intimate thing that's happening here. This is, I'm going to tell you, son, how you can really walk with God. And he says this, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man or a woman cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, from that which is ignoble or dishonorable, he will be or she will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, 
and prepare to do any good work. Let me repeat it again. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. If a man or a woman cleanses himself from the latter, he or she will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any and every good work. We're taking a little break from Ephesians today. It's still a transformed message, but we're taking a little break because, man, just in my devotional reading, this cut me to the quick. And I said, God, ooh, I want to be a vessel for noble, or your Bible might say honorable purposes. And I immediately became aware of the things in my life that would reserve me for the ignoble. You know, those things that are a wedge between me and God. And I want to bring us into that today. So, Paul says, let's go a little bit line by line here, right? That there are articles not only of gold and silver. Clearly, when, when Paul says gold and silver, he's speaking about value and about durability. If you notice here, these wooden bowls, now they're going to get chipped. And they're going to get used. And they're going to degrade sooner. But the silver and the gold, not only are they of higher value just monetarily, but they last longer. Part of their value is that they are durable. Paul says that we want to be the gold and silver. When he talks about noble or honorable purposes versus the ignoble or the dishonorable, the uh, noble, the the words in Greek there, the honorable or the noble means something that is valued and high priced. (coughs) Whereas the dishonorable or the ignoble, it actually means something that's vile. And the association is vile like a dead body. Okay? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't want to be to God someone who's vile like a dead body. I just want to be a corpse of, of, um, of filth where God can't really use me or get to me. Right? And then we come to this admonition from Paul. He says, if a man or a woman cleanses himself from the latter. Right? If you will cleanse yourself from these things. And this is where we, as people who are rightly divide the word of God, as actually Paul says a few verses earlier, we need to be wise in the sense that we realize that Paul is talking to his mentee. He's not establishing a theological doctrine here. He's not saying that we need to cleanse ourselves. Like He's not putting down the work of the cross of Christ, is he? Because we look at Ephesians, we look at Romans, we look at Galatians, we look at the whole corpus of Paul's work, and we know that it's by grace alone, through faith, that we're saved. And yet, Paul says, for you and me, there's a responsibility. He's saying to Timothy, this is how you're going to walk with God. And the practicality of it, it's you need to cleanse yourself from the latter. There's some responsibility on your end to walk away from that which would taint you. And he says, he who cleanses himself will be an instrument for noble purposes. An instrument. Just like in the, it's, it's a kitchen tool word there. You know, think about it. In your kitchen, you got apple cores. You got knives. You got, we have the magic bullet in our house, which I love to blend things. It's just a lot of fun. You've got your spoons and your forks. You each are different instruments, okay? But God wants to use you, and he wants you to be this kind of instrument, one that's noble. And this, this great little line here that Paul says, if you cleanse yourself from these things, you'll be an instrument for noble purposes. You know, you'll be available when it's time to call you in to play. You'll be ready to go. You'll be made holy. In other words, there's this talk of sanctification. You'll be set apart 
you know, and this is the walk with God that we do, that um, uh, he makes us holy by his blood. What Jesus has done is final. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's grace plus nothing. And there's a response in your day-to-day walk of saying yes to God and no to sin. Because elsewhere, Paul says, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to say no to sin. We're in this process of continually cleansing ourselves, continually choosing well, continually cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So we'll be, made, we'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, and here's where it gets fun for me, useful to the master. Aren't we all motivated deeply out of relationship, right? We're all motivated fundamentally, deeply, in our core, out of relationship. We want to be useful to the master, don't we? You know, I had a great time last Monday at Gordon College, and I'm just so happy to see so many students here. But I got to tell you, a sweet thing happened for me. I had the opportunity to speak at chapel there. But a very sweet thing happened after I spoke. And that is, again, I just forget that, that um, this woman works at Gordon College. But the same woman who was my middle school choir teacher is on faculty at Gordon. And so she came up to me afterwards and she said, Neil, you did a super job. And immediately I was transported 25 years earlier And I remember that as an eighth grader, and I have shared this story before, but as an eighth grader, Faith Luth asked me, for this spring concert, would you consider conducting the choir on this particular Bach cantata? Man, a little 14-year-old. Can you imagine what that did to me? I I just thought, this is awesome, because she knew I was a little maestro back then. I was was really into my um, classical music thing at that time, which I love. I still listen to. Um, whatever it is, 90, <laughs> 90.9, what's the station here? 90, yeah, 90, yeah, 90.9, right, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a classical addict. So, um, so, anyways, I was in that, you know, so the fact that she just invited me in, would you conduct our choir on this spring concert? You know, kind of last concert of the year, eighth grade. And I just thought, that is great. And I wanted to be useful to my teacher. And to be useful to her was absolutely identity uh, hardening for me. Like it really solidified an identity. Like, yes, I want to do that. That was so wonderful. Dennis Bakke, B-A-K-K-E. He was kind of a, uh, uh, just a very different CEO and that he took his energy company, AES, and he totally flattened it out kind of hierarchy wise. And he said, you know what? He's written a book called Joy at Work. And he said, people have joy at work when they have responsibility, when they can solve their own problems. And he just was determined that it wasn't going to be that from the board of directors, all the decisions came down from on high, but say, this, these workers here at this energy plant in Oklahoma, these workers here at this energy plant in Brazil, they're going to be able to make their own decisions about what's best for the company. They're going to make their own decisions about what charity the um, profits should go to. They should make their own decisions about who their vendors are and all that. And that's how he said, there's joy at work when you actually have some decision-making power. Aren't you glad that we work for the best king in the whole world? And that if there's anyone who deserves all the power, it's Jesus. But in his mercy, he's making the church the most flattest organization on the planet. you got responsibility. He's inviting you into joy because he wants to use you like this. And he's willing to share that with you. He wants you to be useful to him. That's the good news. And then, as we said, you'll be useful to the master and you'll be prepared for any and every good work. Even as my wife was prepared when coach needed someone to come in. 
If you remember, in the year 2000, Tom Brady was a fourth-string quarterback for the Patriots. The next season in 2001, it wasn't until the second game, the home opener against the Jets, that he came in in the fourth quarter because Drew Bledsoe had internal bleeding. And so Tom Brady started to develop during that 01 season. It wasn't until the fifth game that he developed his stride. But then with all the hardy New Englanders here, maybe you remember, do you remember the Super Bowl, right? Where Adam Vinatieri puts it through the uprights and we, we, you know, we, we broke that 15-point tie. And um, Tom Brady became the youngest, at that time, the youngest quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And um, my point is this, was that when it was time, you know, when Drew Bledsoe had to get out of the game, Brady was ready, and he stepped in, and a season that kind of started a dynasty. I love this quote from Tom Brady. Is it okay? He, can, we, can we elevate Tom Brady to sainthood today? Let's do it. It's, <laughs> in New England, it's no problem. So <laughs> he says this. He says, a lot of times, this is deep thoughts from Tom Brady, okay? <clears throat> he says, a lot of times, I can't do his voice, a lot of times I find that people who are blessed with the most talent don't ever develop that attitude, meaning the winning attitude. They don't develop that winning attitude. But the ones who aren't blessed in that way, in other words, the ones who don't have the talent, are the most competitive and have the biggest heart. Let me just say it again. A lot of times I find that people who are blessed with the most talent don't ever develop that winning attitude. But the ones who aren't blessed in that way are the most competitive and and have the biggest heart. And what I want to say is this. As we're going through this idea that Paul's presented that, hey, there's ignoble and there's noble, we want to be noble. That, that nobility is available to anyone here, okay? It's not an issue of, like, the talents, whether you're a one-talent, two-talent, five-talent person. That's not the issue, you know, whether you're an apple corer or a, a, a magic bullet. The issue is not what kind of instrument you are, but the issue is that we can all be noble because of our heart attitudes, because of our choosing to cleanse ourselves, to use this Paul language. Amen? Okay, so let's do this. We're going to look at the verses around this. We're going to find, basically, Paul's going to present... Because the question is, how do we? How do we become the noble? How do we become the silver and gold? And he's going to present six things. Two things that we should avoid and four things that we should do, that we should pursue to become instruments that are useful to God. So let's uh, walk through the scripture starting at verse 15. We'll walk through this and um, we'll start to look at those uh, two things we should avoid, four things we should pursue. I'm starting at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God is one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. This is wild. Paul actually calls them out. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth and they say that the resurrection, in other words, they say that like the second coming has already happened and so they're destroying the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. <laughs> Nevertheless, God's foundation... I actually did read this before, um, five minutes ago. FYI. <clears throat> Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. He's quoting from Numbers now. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, Some are for noble purposes, some are for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth, 
Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Okay, let's talk about the two things to avoid first from these verses. And I'm pulling things out and putting them together, so you might be kind of searching around the various verses. The first thing that Paul calls us to avoid is sins of the tongue, sins of speech. The first thing Paul calls us to avoid are sins of the tongue, sins of speech. So in verse 16, you hear him say, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Paul's not playing around here. Gangrene, which we also call canker, which we get our word cancer from, but gangrene If it is unchecked, it spreads, and eventually, you know, it spreads skin level, and eventually it spreads to the bone. In other words, gangrene is very serious, and eventually it needs, you know, it requires amputation because it's so infectious. All right, godless chatter. I'll tell you how this hits me. On the spectrum, I probably land a little bit more conservative. So what can happen is when I feel like I'm kind of in an angry or frustrated mood, I can just get my little fix from Fox. You know, I can get on Fox News and I get on some of the conservative talk shows and I can just hear the angry rhetoric. And, you know, right now I've made some of you really happy and a few others are really repulsed by that. Sorry, I'm not trying to... <laughs> but my point is this. I can, uh, especially, you know, especially with what's going on right now with the government shutdown thing, the rhetoric on both sides is just through the roof about how evil the other people are. And so I've got a choice as a man of God and as a follower of Jesus and as a leader in God's people. I can just kind of get energized, kind of get this like uh, wicked high (laughs) off the whole conservative thing. Or I can stay where I need to be in the word of God and just say, God, have mercy on our government. God, have mercy on these people. Do you see what I'm saying? And what I can do is I can either get around the people who are like me and they think like me. And we can kind of go into godless chatter. And we can just get into, wow, isn't the world awful and doesn't that stink and you know, but you just got to look at the fruit of that conversation. Is it leading me to more godliness or is it leading me to more just anger and rhetoric and frenzy? I need a check. I'm just telling you in my heart of hearts at times, I need a check. And I need to say, God, I want to avoid the godless shatter. This thing's going to spread, spread like gangrene. And instead, I want to throw myself into the kingdom and believe the best for everyone else. Amen? So you just got to be careful. No matter what camp you're in, when you start to get to frenzied rhetoric stage, is it godly? Is it, is it leading you to more godliness or is it leading you to more godlessness? In the same vein of, of avoiding uh, sins of the tongue, it's in verse 23 where Paul picks up, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, speaking of, because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. So Paul the elder was instructing Timothy the younger to actually have true tolerance. Not the tolerance that gets thrown around today by the culture, but the tolerance of, hey, Timothy, you're young. People have different opinions than you. It doesn't have to rock the boat. And really the barometer for you, Timothy, is the resentment factor. If you find yourself 
kind of redlining resentment all the time, then that's the sign that you need to chill out and be able to handle the fact that people might have different opinions than you. You're still the leader of this church thing, but you just need to watch it on the resentment piece. I remember as a young teacher, actually, this is funny. Carl was up there. The last time I was with Carl, I was teaching at a uh, Christian middle school in Texas, and Carl was the middle school football coach. <clears throat> and I was, the, um, I was the announcer at the stadium um, on the Friday night football games for the, <laughs> for the junior high team. And believe, I mean, Texas, talk about Friday night lights. A junior high football game on a Friday night gathers more people than the harbor right now. I'll just say, I'll just say that. <clears throat> so it was like, that was my heyday of like public speaking. I was announcing the junior high football game. <clears throat> Anyways, as a young teacher, it was the first job I had out of college. My principal just had the perfect word for it. When I would get into a thing with a student because they were misbehaving, she would say in her awesome Texas drawl, should I try it? No, I'm not going to try it. She would just say, <laughs> she would say, Neil, you just need to stop getting wrapped around the axle. You know, these students, you get in your little thing with them because they're not behaving and you get wrapped around the axle. What a great expression because that's it. We get wrapped around the axle sometimes when we are kind of in a quarrel with someone. And Paul is saying here, Timothy, just don't get wrapped around the axle It's not worth it. The second major thing that Paul says we need to avoid, we see in verse 22, right? In order to become a noble vessel, what we need to avoid is youthful lusts. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee the evil desires of youth. Surely, I mean, for sure, he's talking about our cravings, our lusts. But he's also talking about the the thing I was just referring to, which sometimes in our youthfulness... Things are very black and white for us, and ooh, we just want it our way. And he's saying, stop, you know, flee from that. The thing we need to know as believers is, you know, as it has, I would say, you know, sometimes the best offense is a good defense in the sense that it may not be the most noble thing to do, to flee. It may not seem like the most, especially for the men out there, may not feel like the most like, yes, here's I'm going to conquer lust. I'm going to run away, Right? But that is exactly what Paul says, not only here, but over and over again in his writings. He says the way that we deal with the the lust, you know, just that desire to possess someone else because of their physical attractiveness, the only way out really is to flee. And we have such a great example in Joseph, don't we? Joseph, when Potiphar's wife was coming on to him, he fled. And he just showed for us, for for all eternity, that one of the wisest things you can do is flee. Now, I know it didn't work out for him because he left his cloak. He ended up going to jail. But he did the right thing. Actually, hey, but let's take the story all the way. He did the right thing because guess who protected him all the way through? God, right? I mean, seriously, all the way through. The refrain in Joseph is, the Lord is with you, Joseph. I'd rather have the Lord with me because I'm fleeing from lust than me messing around with some stuff on the side and saying, oh, it's okay. Do you know what I'm saying? The best thing we can do is flee. Flee, flee, flee. And that is the mature thing to do. That's the wise thing to do. And he's saying to Timothy, do it. Okay, two things to avoid. Sins of the tongue, avoid the, the um, just lust. And now he says, I'm going to pull out four things that he says we should pursue. We should pursue four things so that we can be ready. So like my wife, when coach calls, we can say, yes, here I am, and we can perform. <clears throat> the first thing is, I'm just going to use some B's. I'm going to admit, these are very, it's a weak set of Bs, but just humor me, okay? The first one is B, best. Verse 15, B for best. The first thing we can pursue is doing our best and 
let me fill this out so it doesn't sound like fluff. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Now, earlier on in these verses, Paul has made three other analogies for Timothy. He said, you need to be a soldier because you need to endure. You need to not get involved in civilian affairs because you want to please your commanding officer. So he says, be like a soldier. He also has said, be like an athlete. You got to play by the rules, right? Stay in the game. And the third thing he said was, and you're like a farmer and that you deserve your wages. Like it's okay for you to eat fruit from your ministry. And now he brings on a fourth picture and he says, you, you want to be like a workman, a workman who is approved. Okay. Now a workman who does not need to be ashamed. I mean, let's just think about it. Think of like my father-in-law, he's worked for uh, the gas company ever since he was 20 years old and he's a workman and he's incredible at what he does. I'm actually jealous. He gets to do all the things with uh, backhoes and diggers and it's actually just, I'll just put it this way. My son is a lot more, likes his job a lot better than mine right now. <laughs> My four-year-old son is way more enamored by what pop does than what dad does. So, but he's a workman. How would he not be approved? Well, I suppose if he didn't show up on the job or when he was supposed to be on a job here, he was doing something else, he was just being lazy. You know, maybe if he stole from the company, if he was corrupt in some other way, right? These are ways we would not be approved. But we are invited to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Let me tell you that 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 pursuit of divine favor, like being approved by God, remember, we're not talking, we're not making a case for theology. You are approved, you know, listen to the messages from the last few weeks. You're loved by God. But there's something about getting divine favor through obedience that's really helpful. And the best way I know to paint the picture again is in the family picture. My son, I'm going to love him no matter what. Nothing can change my love for him. If he turns out being the most prodigal son that any human offspring could ever produce, it'll be hard for us, but I will never stop loving him. In fact, I'll have a great longing for him. But our house works way better when our son, when J.D. is obeying mom and daddy, when he's doing what he's supposed to do, he has our approval, and the home is just a lot more pleasant place to be. Is that not a good example? I mean, do we not feel the same thing? I know it. The Holy Spirit's pretty good at telling me when I sin. I think he tells you when you sin too, right? So when, he, when I sin, it just makes the household a little bit off, you know? But when I'm walking and I have that divine approval because I'm walking in obedience because I'm actually trying my best and whatnot, it's just really pleasant. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of joy because we're all in harmony and the things are sinking. Amen? Of course there's grace for you. There's nothing but grace. But we need the balance of it is okay to seek God's approval by obeying him. Amen? I think we, 21st century Christians, very secure in our salvation, we need to hear that, and yet, there's this peace. If we're going to be this, that means we have to work to be approved. Um, as a, as a, um, it's okay to present ourselves to God as one approved. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Not too many loud amens on that one. Amen? amen. There we go. Okay, second B, second thing we need to pursue. The second thing we need to pursue is the Bible, okay? The Bible, verse 15b, okay? What does he say? He says, hey, you want to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and one who correctly handles the word of truth. One who correctly handles the word of truth. The first thing is we need to handle the word of truth, okay? This book 
It's just an amazing book. I actually get so sad every time I walk by. We have a little storage room in our office. And I walk by the storage room and I realize that there's like 700 Bibles on the shelves of our, of our storage room. And I think, wouldn't it be great if these Bibles were in the hands of some other people? Because the message in this book, the story of God's love for humankind is so life-changing. I can't believe these things are just sitting here. So my encouragement to you is, hey, man. Handle the word of God. Get in it. You know, spend some time in here. And I want to say all of us can read it. We can all understand it. We may need some help from some commentaries to understand the full context. But the word of God in its entirety is available to all of us. Amen. We can understand it. You can read all of it. And I highly recommend that you be reading it regularly. Because when you do, it starts to come out of you. It starts to come out. In your marriage, it starts to come out at your workplace. It starts to come out in your relationships. It starts to work. So you got to handle it first. And then, as Paul said to Timothy, you got to handle it correctly. The authorized version, the King James, you know, it says, rightly divide the word of truth. Because the word there in the Greek is an image of like a, um, like a, a stone wall, actually a stone wall that's well plumbed or that's in a straight line. And so we handle it well, you know. As a, as a case, an example in this message, when I take the scripture that says we need to cleanse ourselves, I don't make a doctrine out of it and say, forget, you know, it's, it's actually Jesus plus some of your works, you know? It's not that. We handle the word correctly. We say it's Jesus plus nothing, and here Paul is giving instruction on how to walk with God, and you walk by cleansing yourself, by walking in repentance. Amen? Okay, handle the Bible. Let's crank through these last two, um, because we want time to respond. Um, Third, third um, thing we're to pursue is just the security of God. Pursue the security of God. I'm going to start at verse 19. Remember that Paul has just said, um, let's get 19 up there. Paul has just said, hey, there are these two guys who are um, messing around with some false doctrine. Don't worry about them. He says, nevertheless, God's sol- solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So, I don't know about you, but I, when I taught high school, I was definitely kind of one of the class clowns. There are probably five of us, meaning, of a faculty of 250 at this large high school, there are five of us evangelical Christians. So, I mean, I can't tell you the number of days that it was like, you know, this English teacher would pass to me and he'd be like, hate's not a family value. And then, like, go back into his classroom. Just because... You know, he knew I was the evangelical Christian. So whenever he had like a little zinger to give me about, you know, what's wrong with Christians and what's wrong with you people, it would come out. So these things may happen, but the word here, Paul to Timothy, God to you and me, the way that we can stay noble is, hey, just relax. God's solid foundation stands firm. Even though at your workplace, you're the class clown because you're the evangelical Christian. Even though you're the village idiot because you believe in Jesus and it's pretty exclusive. Paul's saying, relax. You know why? Because God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Those are quotes from Numbers 16, and the quotes are from a period in Israel's history when some of the priests, there are three of these priests who were kind of upset with Moses. They said, Moses, how come you get to run the whole show? And Moses was like, oh, you don't get it. I didn't choose myself to run the show. God chose me to run the show. So if you rebel against me, you're really rebelling against God. And he says, you know, let me show you how this works. So the next day, these three rebel priests, uh, Moses calls them forward and says, all right, let's see. Let's see who rules the show. And 
man, this is crazy. The earth opened up, and these three rebel priests and their families get swallowed up. Okay, pretty intense. Number 16, read it. See, handle the word of God. It gets fun. Crazy stories, all right? God, but do you hear what Paul's saying? Hey, God's in charge. At the end, it's all going to work out. So that means you can relax. That's why you can avoid godless chatter. It's why you can avoid quarrels. You don't have to get wrapped around the axle because God's in charge. Amen? Amen. We're actually going to stop there. I'll give you the fourth B maybe in the email this week or something. We'll give you that fourth one. There's some other things to pursue. But what I want to do is I just want to take, as the worship team comes forward, I just want to take a moment and let's wait on the Lord together. What I mean is I'm going to give us about a minute to be quiet. And you ask the Lord, of these two things to avoid or of these three things we mentioned to pursue, right? We said we want to avoid sins of the tongue. We want to avoid lust. We want to pursue giving our best, doing our best. We want to pursue the Bible. And we want to pursue being secure. Of these five things we mentioned today, which one is God highlighting to you this morning? Which one is God saying, hey, regarding you becoming someone who's useful to me because you've cleansed yourself from the ignoble, from the dishonorable, and because you're making yourself available for the honorable, which one needs the most attention today? Let's ask God. Holy Spirit, (laughs) we believe that the greatest pleasures of our life come as we cooperate with what the Master wants to do. We really believe that. The most joy in life comes when we find ourselves the most in union with our King, with our Master, being useful to Him. Just as when Coach called Kelsey and Kelsey had a yes and she was ready, we love it. We love it when you call on us and we're ready because we've had lifestyles of being made ready. So Holy Spirit, what needs to change in us today? Do we need a fresh love for your word? Do we need fresh grace to flee when we feel ourselves entrapped? Do we need a fresh rain on the tongue, which is just an expression of the heart anyways? Come, Lord, we ask.